Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Now this series, as we start, is just going to run across the summer. Uh, It's something I've wanted to do for quite a while. Um, I love looking at the characters of people. Don't you love I mean, looking at people's characters and knowing what makes them up and and, uh, what makes people do what they do is a fascinating thing. Uh, If it wasn't the case, there wouldn't be so many soaps on TV, I'm sure. uh, But anyway, we're going to be looking at some of the characters in Hebrews 11. And um, I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me a few months ago saying, this is what we should do over the summer. And uh, running with endurance just naturally fell into place as our theme. So the whole team will be covering uh, some of the characters that are picked up in Hebrews 11, hopefully take us into aspects of, uh, of the topic that perhaps you haven't seen before. If you have, it will just remind you and build your faith and your encouragement. Just bear with me a second while I grab my, my glasses. I'm getting mature these days. And uh, with maturity comes a certain responsibility. And that certain responsibility is not to forget your glasses when you're preaching. But anyway, um, so the lives of ordinary people um, who live by faith, it's exciting. Um, and it says in the Bible, these people were commended. They were commended for their faith. There was something about their faith. Who wants to be commended for their faith? When you go to heaven and when you, when you pass on to the eternity, you want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what, we want to, that's what we want in our lives. We want to know that as we move into eternity, which is way longer than this earth, that God says, we're going to celebrate you now. But actually, we know that God is already celebrating. And uh, there's a lot we can learn from some of these people. But they were commended. Um, and before we go into this, uh, um, the book of Hebrews, we're going to be looking obviously at Hebrews during these next few weeks. And I want to set the scene a little bit. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage Christians actually in a time of trial. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We just know it's got some amazing scripture in it, some amazing theology, some amazing principles of faith. In fact, I read just a couple of days ago that that God himself is mentioned more times in Hebrews than almost any other part of the New Testament, just just by reference. And uh, it starts off by talking about the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. The absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand the supremacy of Christ and we're just coming to church, we are missing out on a whole load of stuff. Because in his supremacy comes everything for life and godliness and eternity. It's just his supremacy is the be-all and end-all of everything that ever was, is and will come in the future. It is it. It starts and stops with the supremacy of Christ. But out of that supremacy comes the sufficiency of Christ for us. So his supremacy becomes our sufficiency as we put our faith and trust in him. That's why this subject is so important. Running with endurance, there, there's a journey that we've got to run. It, it is a running race. There is a, sometimes it's standing still, but there are times when you've just got to pick up that baton and run. And you've got to know that you can do it and you want to be confident. And it doesn't take a lot to trip you up. Sometimes you, can, you could find that circumstances have got the better of you and life has just thrown a curveball at you that you feel like you didn't expect certain things to happen. I mean, one week after another, I find some weeks you just didn't expect certain things to happen. I mean, in the last month, every single week, something I didn't expect to happen has happened in those weeks. You think it's all planned, it, you know, it's not. But God's in control. So by faith, 
we understand that Jesus' absolute supremacy becomes our absolute sufficiency. And that absolute sufficiency is Jesus Christ. So it would be totally remiss of me not to actually start with Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, and in fact, maybe even the third verse. But just to set the scene, so next, next uh, place. And my theme this morning is um, developing stamina. So it's an introduction, it's developing stamina. Okay, so Hebrews 1, just the first three verses in the ESV. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now that is full-blown, full-blown ribeye steak. <laughs> I had a ribeye steak for A good friend of mine bought me a steak for lunch on Friday. And on that menu, I'm telling you, I don't want to make you hungry. Who didn't have breakfast this morning? I'm about to make, unless you're a vegetarian, <laughs> you're going to throw, throw your Bible at me or something. But, um, but, you know, I looked at a menu, and when you look at a menu and you see the things on a menu, and you, you look down and you see, well, tagliatelle, salad, <laughs> grilled chicken, tomato relish, uh, and then you, you go on a little bit further, and it says, age matured ribeye steak. <laughs> you just know that you're going nowhere else on that menu. That's where you're going. And even thinking about it, my mouth is now filling up. <laughs> so, um, but that's what, it's, that's what it's like with these verses. This is ribeye steak territory in the kingdom of God. This is it. Let me just open even these few verses, just a couple of thoughts, keep that slide up there. Um, let's just, you know, it says in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Do you know what the, ra- the word radiance means? It means reflected brightness. It means he's the exact reflection of God in all his glory is in Jesus Christ. And we know from Colossians, he's the visible image of the invisible God. Everything about God is seen in Christ. Everything. He is God's radiance. He is God's reflected brightness of the glory. It's amazing. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. By the word of his power. And of course, I've got to think about the word, word. That is rhema word of his power. That's not just the book. That is the spoken now, fully energized word of God's power. It's what he does. Um, he upholds the universe. Do you get this? He upholds the universe. And actually that word universe, I was doing a bit more reading last night. The word universe actually has a time dynamic in it. It's not just space. It's a time dynamic. And the Hebrew guys, or the Greek guys, they, they use the word in Greek to talk about universe. It's actually a time dynamic, not just space. So it's not just universe as in what exists right now. It is the full dimension of anything and everything that ever existed. Anything and everything that ever existed. It's amazing. It's upheld. He upholds everything in time and everything in substance by the word of his power. Let's try and get this. The word of his power, that rhema word, it's not the logos word. The logos is the text. The rhema is that actively uttered word, that now spoken, coming into full creation what didn't exist one second ago. 
That's how he upholds the universe. That's how he does it. Do you get that? That power, that's what faith is. Now that's now talking about Hebrews 11.1. You know that great verse that talks about substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. This is what he does. In creation, in the dimensions of time, God speaks his word, Jesus speaks the word, and holds that whole thing together. All he's got to do is change what comes out of his mouth. He's only got to change what comes out of his mouth. That now word will change the course of history, past, present and future. And that is available to us. And that's what the, the writer, the Hebrews, wants us to understand. That faith takes us into that territory. Faith takes us into that territory. That territory where the uttered word carries the very power of creation behind it. If we can get our faith aligned to understanding how God thinks about us, then it will change how we think about everything around us. It will change everything. It's his power. Making purifications for sin. This is almost like a byproduct. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Of course, it's not a byproduct. It's exactly central to his purpose. Jesus' purpose is God incarnate. Incarnate means uh, God who became man, who put on flesh, God came as a man and walked this earth so that we could see that God loves his people. And so that anybody, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, may be saved. You might be in this meeting today and you've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Woe to you. You need to do it. You've got to do it. You need to do something about your life. You need to understand there is no other way or mechanism that you can be saved except by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You have got an eternity. Where will you be in that eternity? But more than that, you have a life. Where are you going to be in life if you haven't made your peace with God right now and brought your life and your life lined up to his word and to his purpose? You know, even if we look at the word logos, which is the other word in Greek, you know, it says in Hebrews 4, for the, uh, for the word logos of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Just, just using the text in context can change things. It's extraordinary. So God's word is immensely powerful. But I know that I've read all of Hebrews as I prepared for just the beginning of the series. And in chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He's gone as a forerunner. He's gone ahead of us on our behalf. The Bible says that we, we consider him like a brother and we are adopted into his family. Um, Martin, the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked by R.T. Kendall, how do you describe faith? How do you define faith? Now these are two eminent characters. Uh, I've had the privilege of hearing uh, R.T. Kendall. I've never heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, but I have read a number of his books on Romans. And he says you can sum up faith by saying, believing God. <laughs> Believe in God. So Artie Kendall wrote a book called Believe in God. And I'm in the middle of reading that book right now. Good, good book. So, let's have a look at our main text for this morning. Let's pop up Hebrews 11.39. This is two slides. The first one is the back end of Hebrews 39. Verses, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40. And then we'll spill over to chapter 12 and the first two verses. And that's very much what our, our feature was aiming at this morning. These heroes of faith that we will not read about today, but we will pick up during the series, are described in some summary form and detail throughout Hebrews 11, as you know. And as you get to the back end of Hebrews 11, it comes to a kind of summary. So I want to give you the summary at the end, or at the beginning, and, uh, and bring us into it knowing what we're encountering. So at the back end of Hebrews 11, after all these incredible people have been listed and descri described for what they've done, 
it says, and all these, the people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. There's a whole list of them in there. If you've never read Hebrews 11, just read it. You know, just read it this week and throughout the summer. Just read it with us as we teach on it. They did not receive what was promised. They lived by faith but hadn't received what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that part, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now actually, that's the technically quite accurate version. But um, I like other versions that talk about it. But it says effectively, they were not perfected in what they did in their day, but by working with us and by being united with us, this generation, everything they strive for becomes perfect. It leads to perfection. And what does that mean? It means that they did things that were right by faith and God commended them for it. And that's in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Under the covenant of law, these men and women, they did things that were considered faith by God. And they didn't have, they didn't have the fullness of what we understand. But we have got this incredible privilege, this incredible opportunity that we have got what was promised beyond them. So we're living in the days of promise. And yet we struggle with this subject of faith. Isn't it interesting? (laughs) It's, It's something we should learn here. We struggle with faith sometimes. God has provided something far better for us. You know, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So then we'll spin into the next page, chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, because these guys hadn't inherited, they hadn't received the promise yet. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. New Living describes it as the place of honour beside God. We'll come back to that in a minute. My first point in this um, running with endurance, developing stamina, my first point this morning is developing patient endurance. Developing patient endurance. Next slide. Developing patient endurance, this is number one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, you may not be able to see the verse reference there, but that's back in Hebrews 10. So just before Hebrews 11, we get, we get given the introduction almost to these people. It's an introduction. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, by the way, that word endurance comes from a, a bigger Greek word which actually means patient endurance. And in some translations they include that word. And in the new NIV, in fact I've been in the prayer meetings, I've been c- calling it perseverance for the last two weeks. Mm. But that, I, I was kind of brought up on the NIV, so to speak. And, um, but it's the same, it's a very, very similar word. Endurance and perseverance have a very, very similar meaning. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's a promise for our faithfulness. There is no doubt about it. In Scripture, there is a promise for faithfulness. There is a reward for faithfulness. There is a reward for faithfulness. Do not argue with me that there is no reward. There is a reward for faithfulness. And there are dimensions of these rewards and promises that God gives us. Fundamentally, there's a promise of salvation. There's a a promise of eternal life. And there's an incredible reward with that alone. But there are other things. So endurance, if it's defined, um, it would mean to... 
withstand a, difficult, a difficulty or a great trial for an extended period of time. Let's go back to the previous one, if you would, just a second. To, um, to endure is to, to withstand a difficulty, a great trial for an extended period of time. In other words, not giving up after the first attempt. And some of you may feel like giving up at times. You may just feel like, I've had enough, I'm worn out, but God, you don't know how busy it is in my job. <laughs> you don't know how busy, you don't know how tough it is with my husband or my wife. You don't know how tough it is with my kids. You don't know how tough it is with all the pressures of this, that and the other. God does know how tough it is. And he says, that's when I come into my glory is when you understand that I know how tough these things are. Because God's whole plan is for us to have confidence and to persevere and to endure in these tough situations. And how does God do it? Well, he helps us to learn about prayer. He helps us to learn about mission. Graham brilliantly brought that out about his nanny. He helps us to understand what serving is really all about, that it's unconditional, it's for Jesus and his kingdom. He helps us to understand about pressing in and trusting in the Holy Spirit, learning all about how he speaks to us and how he can comfort us and build us up. Because, and he also teaches us how to endure suffering. And we know that from Jesus' life, that there was no way for him to complete his mission without having to go through a time of incredible suffering. And he's our leader. He's the one we, we follow. You know, 200 years ago, it was the Battle of Waterloo, and the losing emperor was Napoleon Bonaparte. And um, he said, even though he got beaten, the first virtue in a soldier is endurance to fatigue. Courage is only the second virtue. Now, he was an incredible warrior, and the, the British were very worried about him. And he was, he was, he was a very um, extraordinary accomplished leader who in the end was beaten. But he talks about the first virtue of a soldier is endurance. Is, in, is endurance, being able to endure. And if you've ever done physical exercise or you've got on a bike or you start to go for a run you just feel like giving up. I just remember when I was at school, I, I was naturally skinny and so I was kind of built to run a little bit. Uh, nothing really broke, it just twanged occasionally. And I used to hate cross country, it was so boring. But I was quite good at it. So I used to always do cross country at school and used to do it at the Kent competitions and things. Um, really didn't enjoy it. And so I never used to prepare. I used to just turn up, you know, packets of crisps, sweets and all that. And, and <laughs> it used to so annoy me. I'd watch these guys shoot past. Yeah. And I just think, you know why? It's because you haven't prepared. And therefore you've got no endurance. You can't do it. And, uh, and it was so true. It didn't, fortunately, my build was such that actually if you did do some training, you could, you could get to the end of the race. But, but, um, but it was always frustrating. I used to think, oh, if only I took this seriously, I'd be quite a good runner. <laughs> but um, it's endurance is so important. As Napoleon said, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's an endur endurance is a primary virtue for those in battle. Endurance to fatigue. With courage, important, but second to that. And what does it take to throw away your confidence? It's when you settle for second best. Your confidence gets thrown away when you put your faith in something that God never really promised. One of the biggest killers of confidence is when you presume that actually you've figured out the answer to a situation or a problem and you fill in all the blanks and then you do everything as though that's the answer. And then it doesn't work out quite how you expected. And that kills confidence because you put your faith in something that perhaps wasn't really engineered by God, didn't come from him, didn't really originate with him, it came from you, it came from you. And actually people put their, their faith in all sorts of 
bizarrely motivated things. I remember again as a kid, if God, if you get me through my exams, I will become a Christian. That's what I used to say when I was about 11 or something, you know, or 10. Again, it was probably because I hadn't done revision. I had no endurance. I was relying on crisps and chocolate bars to get me inspired. But we put our confidence in the wrong things and we say, God, if you sort this out for me, then I will. But God knows you won't because that's not what he told you to do. He's told you to face the reality of who you really are and deal with who you really are, not all these things on the outside, not the, the, not the, not the symptoms or not the, the outside effects, but actually what's inside. So you settle for second best. You, we misplace our hopes. We put faith in the wrong stuff. And then what do we do? God doesn't love me. <laughs> God doesn't love me. We blame God for it. We say, God, you didn't listen to me. I wanted X, Y, Z. I said I'd do it but he knew you wouldn't. And he knows, God knows. Even if life is hard, we have to make the choice to persevere. And what does that perseverance start with? Just taking a step. It's a step. It's doing a solid step and saying, God, I need to hear from you. I need to trust in you. I need to follow your mechanisms, not my own mental processes. We know that from Romans 5, it says, endurance produces character and character produces hope. Endurance produces character and character produces hope, verse 4. Endurance is really important to our Christian walk. Endurance is vital for faith. You know, it is easy to say, right God, sort it out tomorrow and if it doesn't happen, I'm walking away from you. Because actually that's an excuse for you actually paying no effort at all to actually draw near to God. What is God really saying in a situation? What's he really saying? Now we've all done it. I've done it many, 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 many times. It's taken me years to figure out actually God is in control and we just have to align ourselves with him. But endurance produces character and character produces hope. I mentioned a few weeks back about the power of small things. The power of small things. Um, Endurance never says that you have to take huge steps. It never says you've got to go conquer something. Endurance just says you've got to be able to keep going. So you don't have to. Don't set your faith goals so far ahead of your trusting in God and your experience that actually you're, you're going to fall over the hole that you just created. And if God, just make a little step. Just make a little step. God doesn't say, I mean, the Bible's full of the little steps. It's full of tiny, the boy with the loaves and the fish. It's a tiny, 5,000 people get fed. A miracle happens with a packed lunch. How is that possible? Because God, faith and endurance is about the little steps. It is never about these monster things. If someone says to you, you're going to be the conqueror of the world, you're going to be king of England, you know, sometimes they stick you out there to fail because actually faith is not about the role and the title. Faith is all about the little steps. Faith is all about the consistent, steady steps where you build up. It's the stuff you do privately. Yes, I will read my word. I will pray this morning. Just, I'll just get a few minutes in a prayer. I'll just take my time aside just for a few minutes. I'll get my journal out this first time this week and I'll just write down the verse that God's speaking to me through and I'll meditate on that. Then you get fed and you take another step and you go back to the word and you, you realise and after a time you're in a full blown race now and you're, you're realising God is fully, fully equipping you because you are now confident. It's producing something. It's, it's in producing your character. It's giving you more confidence. And actually those tiny little steps, little ste- do n- never begrudge those little steps. You know, I, I, I've got a great friendship with Pocket Testament League and uh, I've been with them for, for a number of years as a volunteer director and I'm on the board and we, 
we circulate gospels, and God's been doing some amazing things in that tiny little organization by faith. All we do is encourage people to share their faith one-to-one. I've mentioned it once or twice over the years in, in the church here. But just those little steps of taking a gospel and just sharing your faith with someone. How about this summer? Prince, just pass me my jacket a second. How about this summer when you're on holiday? Taking a little step of, of faith. And, um, and just take, with you, your, take your Bible with you. How about that? <coughs> on your, you probably will on your iPod or your whatever. Take, or take a gospel. Why don't you just take a little gospel? Why don't you take the Word of God with you? A hard copy. It's not going to bust your luggage allowance. Um, in the front, little ex- explanation of how you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And how about you pray that when you're by the pool or when you're by the seaside, or when you're on the hill walk, or when you're in doing that sports activity, that God will just bring someone to you that he wants to speak to through you, and that maybe you can give them a gospel, or just say, well, would you like me to tell you about Jesus Christ and how he means so much to me? I'm telling you, people don't shut the door down on you because they're looking for answers. You know, do you realise this church, if we just took a little gospel and took it to a friend with authenticity and not beat them up with it, and just say, look, this is what God is doing in my life, and look what he's... I know so many stories in this church from you lot that would make you cry because you've all been through huge pain, or many of you have been through massive pain in your life. Each journey of pain is a living story of God's grace. The power in your stories is immense, and the devil will lie to you and say, oh, but you're... Look at those other guys, they're so successful. No, 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 no. Look at yourself. God has put into you those seeds. He's put into you the potential to change a life. Supposing on your holiday this summer, your vacation, or, or s- something different this summer, you just took a little... God. We've got a few... This is an ESV version, by the way. We've got some new, new living ones out in the lobby out there. But just, just... Why don't you tell yourself? I'll take a little step of become an evangelist with one step and just see what could happen this summer. The power of small things. The power of small things to change your life. Hebrews 12, 12 to 13 says, to take a, a new grip with your tired hands. Maybe you are worn out. Maybe you're, you are feeling like you've, your face has hit the dirt and you've got the... That reminds me of the community day recently and Vlad, he's not here so I can talk about him. Um, <laughs> playing basketball. I don't know if the parents are here, but there was a massive collision on the basketball court and this little kid just did a kind of skid into the tarmac. <laughs> And I thought, oh no, don't show me. But there was a bit of a bruise. But, you know, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've just hit the floor running. Maybe you've just wiped out recently. And what does it say in Hebrews 12? Brilliant. See, it's all in Hebrews. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall. But become strong. Say become strong. Become strong. God's plan is to make you stronger. His plan is to give you encouragement to endure and to make you strong. First point, develop patient endurance. Second point, know there's something better planned for us. There's something better planned. This is the covenant of grace. We'll just whistle through this. The, um, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. Uh, these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's the NIV version. Different version, just to give you a different flavor. God has planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
I like that rendition because it's slightly easier to make sense of than the ESV, but the same, it carries the same sense. In other words, these heroes of faith, these Enochs, these Rahabs, these Noahs, these Abrahams, you know, these guys, the incredible men, and you know, these, these guys are legends in our scriptures, but God had planned something better for us, that only together with, with us would they be made perfect. So the, what came before Christ and what has come since comes together. And together there is a perfection and it's God's perfect plan for creation and eternity. It's what's happening. These heroes were desperately hoping that they would see what was promised. But we are walking in that promise. We are walking in it. We're in a time of incredible grace. We are a team with those guys. It's the new covenant super team. We have a superior son of God, a superior high priest. We talked about in the last series about Jesus, of the order of Melchizedek, the great high priest. And of course, that is talked about in Hebrews, who died once for our sins and, and paid an eternal price for us. It gives us accessibility to God personally. It brings us into perfection and perfects everything that God is doing. And with the Holy Spirit, he seals us and becomes our source. The Holy Spirit is our seal and our source. Incredible. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are sealed. We are new creations. No longer under condemnation. No longer tied to a yoke of slavery. But we're new creations in God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And no one can take that away. And he becomes our source. So by faith, we know there's something better. In your life, coming to Christ is just the beginning. The next step is, what do we do in this life? God is our seal, our source. We have his Holy Spirit power, his peace and his purpose. There's a lot of alliteration. God's plan and purpose links us all by faith. That's why you can't just do your own thing and be out there and say, you know what, it's just me and God. Now, it has to be you and God, but it's you and God and all the rest of us. That's one big family. That's a big old family. And sometimes we make decisions that affect each other. I just want to pop up a few things. There are times when we have to make difficult decisions as believers. And I took a, a leap out of Deborah's book recently when she preached. And I just love this. Questions to ask yourself when you've got to make difficult decisions. We'll whistle through these and we'll probably post them on the web. Making difficult decisions. The first one, is my choice consistent with the Bible? So if you're in a place in your life and you know you've got a hard decision to make, these are the questions to just check and balance why you're doing it. Is my choice consistent with the Bible? Next one. What are my deeper motives? Are they self or are they spirit? What are my motives? Am I really trusting God when I make a decision or I make those, those choices? The third one. What's the physical or emotional cost? What will the levels of fatigue or hunger or stress be in the decision you're about to make? I'm not saying that you won't get tired. Runners always get weary. When you're in conflict, it becomes wearisome. But there is a cost, and you need to know what that cost is. Are you putting yourself into something that's so costly that actually you'll go under with it? Fourth point, what effect will it have on others in their faith? And this is where, unfortunately, human beings do get selfish sometimes. They, they feel it's always about their situation. But what you do will affect others around you and their faith. So how will it affect others in their faith? Will they grow because of what you've done, or won't they? Number five, what have I learned from past experiences? What have I learned as a Christian? When I've, when I've been on my race, when I've been in that journey, what have I learned from it? And then sixthly, will this church, or this choice, impact our church, functioning as the body of Christ? 
How will it impact the church? Will you not being there take away from what this church can, can achieve because you are part of this? We're in a family. Or do you need to be somewhere else? Because actually, maybe you do need to be somewhere else. Let's go on to the next, the final few questions. These are just prompts for you. Questions to ask in difficult decision times. How will this choice impact my family or my close friends? Number eight, what advice do trusted, godly people give me and do I pray with them about it? If you're taking decisions in your life that are all independent, chances are you are heading for a, for a challenging outcome. Because those who, that's why fellowship is so important in the Bible. What do trusted, godly people uh, give you advice about and what do they say? Number nine, what does common sense tell you to do? The Holy Spirit does influence our common sense, but sometimes we overrule our common sense with a whole load of, oh, but it would be great if. Oh, this will transform everything. But actually, there's a whole gut feeling in there that you need to think about. Um, number 10, do I have peace about doing this? Why? Why not? Why don't I have peace? Why do I have peace? I discovered recently that a decision I'd made over 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago maybe, and at the time, couldn't make sense of it. It just felt like a harsh decision but it was in agreement with some other Christians and um, in this last week realised that was the right decision. It's taken 14 years to show the truth of making the right decision. Why? There was peace about it. There was peace about it. There was peace about it. Um, number 11, will this choice honour God? <laughs> Is Jesus going to be glorified by the choice you make? Will it bring glory to his name? He's the one who created heaven and earth and all this stuff. Will he get glory from what you've done or, or intend to do? And then finally, is it what God actually wants? Does God actually want you to do what you think you should do or you think you might be moving into? So just a few questions there to ask yourself if you're looking to move into that next step. And then finally, throw off every hindrance. Throw off every hindrance. Our third point this morning. Hebrews 12 one and two. This is almost where it gets super exciting. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is set before us. Who uh, enjoyed watching Mo Farah over the weekend? I don't know if you saw it. There was this um, anniversary games took place on Friday and Saturday. And uh, I was, you know, Jeff, uh, Jess Ennis, I almost called him her Jeff, <laughs> Jess, Usain Bolt and others. Um, and I was curious, because he's a runner, isn't he, Mo Farah? World class, number one in the world in, his, in, in a number of areas. And I wondered what he thinks about when he goes into a stadium and he's surrounded by such a lot of people watching what he does. And I thought, well, I'll just look back and look at what he thought about the Olympics. And in the Telegraph, there was a report, an article in 2013. And I'm just going to read you a bit of the extract. For the hours leading up to the race, I tried to keep things as normal as possible. Every athlete has a routine they like to stick to. I like to shave my head to feel my scalp smooth, the refreshing sense of slapping cold water all over it. Then I listen to some tunes. A bit later on, he says, 20 minutes before the race, I'll normally drink some coffee to wake me up. So now I have a, short, a shot of espresso, but nothing happens. I want to be pumped for this race, so I take a second espresso. As I make my way out to the stadium track, I feel this massive caffeine high come on. <laughs> I'm buzzing. My hands, my legs, everything is shaking. Then I stick my head out through the tunnel leading from the warm-up area to the track, and the crowd goes mental. People are screaming and waving Union Jackson, shouting, Come on, Mo! 
There are banners with the words Go Mo! written in big letters. Each person shouting out pumps me up even more and I'm already pumped up to the eyeballs from the caffeine. <laughs> At that moment, I'm more pumped than ever before in my life. My hands are trembling. My eyes feel as though they're about to burst out of their sockets. As I approach the track, I do a couple of strides and put my hands up to wave to the crowd. The whole stadium just erupts. The crowd is unbelievable. The noise is deafening like nothing I've ever heard before. And like, like me, you probably went to the Olympic Stadium back in 2012. And uh, what an amazing experience. You can just visualise that, can't you? You can just sense the power, the atmosphere, the encouragement. Well, that's what's going on here in, Hebrews, Hebrews, um, in this Hebrews text. It's just extraordinary what is going on. It's extraordinary what God is doing. And it says, um, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and those witnesses are witnesses to the life of faith. They're witnesses to having run a race themselves. And they're encouraging you from their experience. They are testifying as they shout, as they watch you, as they encourage you, that great crowd. You can do it. You can pick up the baton. You can run. You can make it because without you, the race isn't over. This isn't, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. It's a relay race. This is something we're all moving one to the next in. They're encouraging us to live a life of faith. They're saying, we live by faith. You can do it. And what's more, you've got the promise as well. You've got the Holy Spirit. They're in heaven looking at us going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can endure. You can rebuild your confidence. You can take that next step. God has given you everything for life and godliness. You've just got to take a bit of faith. You can do it. And there were probably millions of these guys, these men and women of God, even children, shouting and screaming, you can do it. And you're arguing with yourself, but maybe I can't. But they're saying you can. You can do it. You can do it. They're witnesses to their testimony. They're witnesses to what your potential is. They're heroes. You're a hero. They know it. You know, they know it. They know what God has got planned for you. They know it. And they know that it's your time. It's our time. They want you to be encouraged. They want the church. They're looking at our church going, encourage one another. Build each other up to good works and to faith. Encourage each other. Encourage, find out who we're speaking. Encourage in each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. It's just so extraordinary. It produces hope. It produces um, a sense of power. But what do we need to do? We need to lay aside every weight that hinders in the NIV. Everything that hinders new living. Everything that slows us down. And sin which clings so closely that entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. What does the text say? It doesn't say, it doesn't just say, ask about sin. That's the lowest denominator in this. Sin is not the big issue in this. It's what is the hindrance? What is it that's hindering you? What will help you run? What's going to make you go faster? It's, if you reduce everything to whether you've sinned or not sinned, that's, that's the worst place to be. It's what is it in your life that's the hindrance? What's going to enable you to run quicker, to run faster, to see more happen? Does what you're doing help you run? Does your activity help you get there? Does your activity take you deeper into the things of God? Or are, or are you settling for second best? Does it help you run? Or does it get in the way? of where you're trying to be. To be more kind, to be more gentle, to be more loving, to be more holy, to more, be more pure, to be more self-controlled. 
What is it that's getting in the way? What's stopping you running? Does what you're doing help you run? This whole thing, these crowds of witnesses are saying, come on, pick yourself up and run this race. Your life is the race. Pick yourself up and run. You know, if you go to the gym, you don't see people in the gym getting on the treadmill with their coats on, with their boots on. They're up there with vests on, they've got really brief shorts and they're running with no socks or something. You, know, you can see them. They, just, they put on as little as possible. Why? Because they want as much movement as possible to get moving. We would never get into the gym on the running machine with a coat on, with our scarf on, a woolly hat. They think you and start raving nuts. Yet we clothe ourselves with all sorts of stuff in our lives. We wrap ourselves up. We try and protect ourselves from the elements. Well, actually what God is saying, take off some of that stuff and run. I've given you everything that you need to run. What are the weights? The weights are ambition, anxieties, hobbies, wealth, friends, fame. Each runner must honestly judge what hinders your faith. Matt, join me as we get towards the back end of this. We've got to judge for ourselves what hinders our faith, what hinders our faith, and lay aside every weight that gets in our way. Look to Jesus. He wants to run with you. And then, of course, we have to consider sin because sometimes we do come to that lowest denominator of sin, the sin that so easily entangles. Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, he will also reap. Sin will snare you. Sin will catch you out. Sin will tangle you up. But if we're living in a world of is it sin or no sin, we're nowhere near the race that God wants us to run. We've got to put that sin stuff to one side and we take our, pick ourselves up. Pick ourselves up. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Not distracted by the other stuff. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He gives us that seed of faith and you'll perfect it. But you know, maybe we have sinned. Maybe we've fallen flat. Maybe we just failed again. And we think, but I can't. You know, I'm feeling really down. Well, what does it say in Hebrews 4, 16? It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He knows exactly what it takes to have endurance and exactly what it takes to get to the finish. He knows exactly what it takes and he'll give you everything. He won't hold it back and say, no, no, you don't deserve it. He'll say, if you come to me and ask, I will give it to you. But you know, a little voice inside may say to you, but this is too costly. I'd rather just take it at my own pace. It feels like I'm going to lose something. There isn't much to gain here. Hebrews 12, 2, Look, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He suffered great loss. Jesus suffered great loss. The night before Gethsemane, what did he do? He prayed. He hoped those around him would pray. John Piper really summarizes this well. He says the cost is huge. Jesus knew the cost was huge and he knew the cost started in the morning. He wouldn't get any night's sleep. It starts at 9 a.m. It's going to happen all night long and I'm never going to sleep again before I die, Jesus is thinking. And it's going to hurt like hell, he's thinking, literally. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. How did he do that? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That great crowd of witnesses are encouraging us. Come on, push in there. Move forward. Pick up the baton. Don't 
Don't let these circumstances put you off. You know the truth and the truth can set you free. It can establish a new move in your life. Don't allow those tempting voices to say it's time to give up. It's time to take a step forward. Why did Jesus do it? For the joy set before him. In Philippians it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. He knows everything about what we're going through. And today, can we say, I'll lay aside every weight, and I'll lay aside every sin, and I will run with Jesus Christ. That's got to be our desire today, to run with Jesus Christ. He runs with us. He wants to pick you up. He wants to build your faith. Just come to the throne of grace and ask him. And maybe you're struggling today and you think, but I have failed so many times. But God's, God is, his will is made perfect in your pain. As he picks you up and perfects things and moves you forward, God will do amazing things.